I tell you what, Jeremy Baker, he'll get you fired up, won't he? I tell him he's like, he's like my Tigger. Y'all know Eeyore and Tigger on Winnie the Pooh? I'm Eeyore, he's Tigger. That's how it works. But he, he, he always, you know, he just changes the atmosphere of a place. I appreciate you, Jeremy, this morning for, for sharing with us. And I feel, I feel like he kind of, uh, he gave a pre-sermon to my sermon. It's always interesting whenever I allow people to get up here because it seems like they're speaking right into what, what I feel like the Lord's given me. Um, this morning, I want us to pray first. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, Advent seasons. And, and we'll make more sense of what that means when we get into the message a little bit here. Uh, but I want us to pray together this morning. Uh, I heard a couple, a couple of people gave me a couple of requests this morning just to start the morning. Evelyn, she wants us to pray, pray for her and her family. Recently, uh, she lost her sister, Carol. So I want you guys to, to be in prayer for Evelyn and her family. And, uh, and, and Sonny Jones, his, his uh, brother-in-law, is recently diagnosed with, uh, he's got brain cancer, I think it is. Donnie's his name. So we want to pray for that. I know, I know that a lot of people have a, different, a lot of different things, burdens that you carry constantly. And it, it just, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, if it's every Christmas season or if it's just this season in particular. But it seems like there's, a, there's just a lot of burdens that people are carrying when I'm, when I'm speaking with people and in conversation with people. So I just want to pray this morning. And I, and I, and I have a message that I feel like is going to speak directly into that uh, situation. So, so let's, let, let's pray together. If you would, uh, let's, let's pray for these requests. And I know you've got requests. But let's pray and let's get our hearts ready to receive the word this morning. Father, Lord, we open our hearts, we open our minds to you and we acknowledge your presence. And Jesus, we acknowledge your lordship that at the end of the day, there's nothing that we go through that does not pass through your hand and you are in full control. And so we honor you as Lord. And God, we, we, we thank you. That, God, you're always good, no matter the circumstance, no matter what we're going through. Just like Jeremy said, God, in the midst of terrible circumstances, we can have joy, we can have hope, we can have peace because, Jesus, you are Lord and, Jesus, you have come. And so we pray specifically, God, for, for Evelyn, for her family right now. God, we just speak peace into that situation. And, Lord, for everyone who's lost loved ones who are dealing with grief, Lord, right now we speak peace into those situations that Jesus, you would invade those circumstances and once again you would give them hope knowing that it's not the end. And for those who are suffering with sickness or, or different difficulties, God, we ask for your healing power, for your comfort, for your protection, for your deliverance in those situations, God. We believe you to be a miracle working God. And Lord, we ask you to move mightily in these situations, but make your presence known, make your life known in each of these situations. And God, this morning we just... We just ask you to speak your word directly to us and to our hearts that we could receive it and be changed by it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's jump into it. Uh, we'll get into it here in a minute. I want, like I said, I want to talk to you about Advent seasons. Now, Advent is just, it's a Latin word basically that means coming. But it has to do with a longing in your soul for something that you expect to be coming down the road. That's what the word means. And, and in the Christmas season in the church, they actually celebrate what is called Advent. And they always put it on the calendar as the four Sundays right before Christmas or leading up to Christmas. So we are in that Advent season. 
But you got to understand something about the Advent season is, is, is what was going on when Jesus came the first time and of course what's going on when Jesus comes the second time. The reason they call it Advent is because it was, it was about the coming of the Messiah. He was coming, they were longing for it, they were expecting it and now we live in that same type of a season where we're waiting on the Messiah to return a second time. The Jewish people were waiting on Him to come the first time. We as Christians are waiting, to, waiting on Him to come the second time and fulfill what He brought to pass in His death, burial, and resurrection. But here's what you got to understand. Just set it in context. Before we get into Scripture, I want to set some things in context for you, give you a little bit of history. But when Israel, when Jesus was born into this world, Israel had been waiting on a Messiah for thousands of years, essentially. And when Jesus was born into this world, for eight centuries, they were not a sovereign nation. What that means is for 800 years or more, they were under the rule of other countries that had oppressed them, that had shackled them, that had put them into bondage, that had oppressed them, and, and that were in control over them. And the last 60 years before Jesus, when Jesus was born into the world, Israel was under the control and under the power of Rome. And those last 60 years, those were actually the worst 60 probably that you could argue that Israel had gone through because Rome was crazy, man. They were taking over the whole world. They were like uh, just a, a fierce force going throughout all the countries, taking over, killing people. And in, in that time, Jews, for the most part, they were very, they were very poor. And, and the life for a Jewish peasant was hard y'all. It was not when Jesus showed up, things weren't going that well. Matter of fact, the R Roman soldiers would come in. For example, let me give you an example. And this is why Jesus ended up being crucified, because that was the mode of punishment and execution during that time. So when Jesus is born during that time, let's say there, a, a, a thief uh, does something or let's say somebody insults the emperor or, or, or the governor of Rome or something like that. Something happens, they break the law. Well, what they'll do is they won't even necessarily go after the individual because he may be hiding, so they may not find him. So they would ride into a town and it was called the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome. But here's how they instituted peace. I want you to think about it because we're talking about the Prince of Peace, Jesus. But the Roman Empire comes in and they say, yeah, we're going to institute peace. And here's how we're going to do it. When somebody breaks the law, we will ride into their town. We'll take their family. We'll take their children and even just a few stragglers that might, may or may not know that person. And we will take them and we'll put them on a hill and we'll crucify them and leave them there for three days just to say this is what happens if you mess with us. And they did that all the time. They would tax the Jewish people who were poor. They would take their money from them so that they would have little to nothing. So you understand that when Jesus was born, they were in an Advent season, son. They were waiting on something. And if you go back throughout the history, you, here's the other thing that you got to understand is they're living in this oppression. And yet in their scriptures, the prophets have said over and over and over again, hundreds of times about this Messiah that was going to come. And when this Messiah came, like they had tons of scriptures, even from the beginning, Genesis 3.15. It said that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Amen. And that's a good promise. They had that hidden in their heart. They had promises in Micah that this Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. They had promises that this Messiah was going to come in and he was going to put an end to their bondage. He was going to put an end to their slavery. He was going to set the captives free. That he was going to come in and when he came in, he was going to avenge them of all of their adversaries. And he was going to establish his new kingdom and there would be perfect peace. So you can imagine, just like me, if I heard all of that stuff all of the time, I mean, even right now, I'm waiting on that perfect kingdom, aren't you? 
I have a realization as a Christian that this life, ultimately, it doesn't matter what president we elect. It doesn't matter what ends up happening globally. What we know is that until Jesus returns, this world is not going to be made right. So we're waiting, man. We're longing for this. But can you imagine they've got all of these promises for thousands of years waiting on a Messiah. They hear about the greatness that his rule and his reign will be one of great peace. That people will, there'll be no more war. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears. And they're hearing this over and over and over again. And now they're under the oppression of Rome. And there's this longing that is intensified in their hearts. I don't know about you, but, but for me, when things get hard for me, I start to imagine heaven more. Y'all ever do that? Like when things just stink really, really bad, when things aren't going the way that you, that you want to. So you've got that when the suffering in your life increases, the longing for something better increases. The longing for something increases. The problem with most people is this, and this is what you'll find, and this is why suffering can oftentimes be a good thing, is because when people are living their best life now and everything is going well and they're, and they're wealthy and they have no sickness and everything is just flawless in their life, well, they don't feel like they need God. They're not looking forward to heaven. They're trying to get the best that they can get in this life now. They're not longing for Jesus. They're not longing for that deliverance. And see, what happened was the question began to increase. And I feel like many of y'all, you probably got questions exactly like what I'm about to ask you or what I'm about to say. But the question started to increase in their life. What is taking so long, God? You get you th these promises are right here. You've spoken them. What's taking so long? How is it, God, that you would allow us to stay up under this kind of suffering? What is taking so long, God? How long are you going to allow us to suffer under these pagans? I mean, these people don't even worship you, God. They worship themselves. Matter of fact, the emperor claims himself to be God. They blaspheme your name. And yet we're under their rule and under their power. When, God, are you going to deliver us? I want you to understand something else that, and I've noticed this recently, is that when you start to see people suffering, I don't know about you, but it actually somehow intensifies my love for them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When, I, when my friends or when my family or people that I don't even know, when I see their suffering, it's like my compassion, my love is intensified, and I think about them in ways that I never would have thought about them before had I not seen this that they're going through. A longing starts to happen in my life. Something begins to change. See, they believe that when the Messiah came, all of the suffering would be alleviated, that he would establish a new kingdom, that everything would be transformed. And when he comes in, here's the thing. In principle, Jesus did destroy death. In principle, Jesus did destroy sin. In principle, Jesus changed everything. So there's a sense in which God, Jesus has changed everything, and there's a sense in which nothing has changed at all. And that's kind of rough, isn't it? And y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Satan has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Jesus took care of it on the cross. And when he was raised from the dead, he made the payment. And in principle, it is over. But see, the problem is, is we still suffer from sickness. We still suffer from death. And many of us, pretty much all of us, we're still suffering from the effects of sin in our life, are we not? And so we even, they were waiting on this Advent season. They wanted a natural king to come. And he didn't meet their expectations. He came as somebody that was going to destroy the spiritual forces. But here's the thing. Even though Jesus has done it in principle, we don't experience what he has done in principle until we align our hearts and our minds and we seek Jesus. And when we align our hearts and our minds with what he has done, we begin to experience a foretaste of that coming kingdom. 
And every single one of you in here, you have experienced a foretaste of the peace of God, of the healing of God, of the deliverance of God, of the freedom that's in Christ, of the freedom that he brings to you from your sin. But I'm telling you, we look forward and we are longing for that day when he returns and we have no more sin, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. It's an Advent season. It's an Advent season. That's what we're in. We're longing. We're waiting for this Christ to come. And you know, some people say, well, you know, I've got things that I would rather do while I'm here on earth. You know what I say? I say, Jesus, just like they said in Scripture, Lord, come quickly. Amen. Y'all can y'all amen me this morning. Come quickly, Lord. I know that there's many that need to be saved. And the Scripture says that Jesus, that God is is long-suffering, that the reason He hasn't already come is because He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the only reason He hasn't came back yet is because there are so many souls out there that don't know His salvation yet, and He doesn't want to return before they have the opportunity. And we can actually speed His return by the ministry of the gospel, by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, by sharing the love of God with people so that they can know that, listen, there's a key coming. He already established it on the cross, but he's going to fully establish it when he returns. And I know you've got a longing in your heart. Everybody has a longing in their heart. It's deep in them. You feel it. Even in the best of times, you still feel that longing. And then when the suffering comes and sickness comes and pain comes and difficulty comes and chaos comes in your life, you long for it even more. You're in an Advent season. And see, we all have these personal Advent seasons. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We find ourselves longing and longing and praying for deliverance in certain situations. We think, man, how long am I going to struggle with this sickness? How long is my marriage going to be so jacked up that, that, that it just doesn't even reflect remotely what Jesus wants for our lives? How long am I going to have these financial struggles where I struggle to make ends meet and I felt like the Lord should be providing in a different way for me? How long am I going to struggle with this addiction? Because, God, I want to be set free. Why why is nothing changing in my life? I'm dealing with this depression. I'm dealing with this fear, this anxiety. I've got wounds from my past. I've got grief of losing my family members and it's broken and I'm I'm broken and I'm shattered. How long, Lord? Y'all ever been there? Everybody has. Everybody has been there and you start to have that. But see, here's the thing. When you're dealing with those things, it is appropriate for you to pray for peace to lean on the Holy Spirit, it's appropriate for you to pray for deliverance. And in, 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 in circles like what we believe in, man, we're all about breakthrough. We want to see breakthrough. We want to see deliverance. We want to see transformation. But, you know, I was talking with, with my brother Joel and we were talking about different situations in life just this morning when it gets difficult. And sometimes what we've come to understand and know is that in the difficult seasons, we want the breakthrough and we should pursue the breakthrough. We should pray for deliverance. But sometimes in the waiting, God is actually changing us. We want to fix everything right out of the gate. Man, anytime something bad happens, you want to fix it instantly. But in the process of everything being broken, things in your heart are coming to the surface and God is teaching you how to love. God is teaching you how to deal with your fear. God is teaching you how to deal with your anxiety. And so there's a process that's going on that's deeper. But let me tell you this. Number one in your notes, if if you want to write this down. Number one is is, is in Advent seasons, when there's a season of chaos and longing and difficulty and trial, we must use our pain to drive us closer to Jesus without getting offended. We must use our pain to drive us closer to Jesus without getting offended. Now, 
here's the issue is that oftentimes when people suffer pain, and Jesus even said this, he gave in the parable of the sower. He said that there would be many who they would receive the word with gladness because it was good news. And it sounds like, man, my life is going to change and be better. But then all of a sudden tribulation comes, persecution comes, difficulty comes, and immediately they are offended and they fall away. How many times have you ever been offended at God? I got to be honest with you. There's been a few times that I've been offended at God. I've been like, God, this is not how I expected it. This is not how I wanted it. I figured you'd do this a different way. We've been praying. I got a prophetic word. This stuff should have come to pass by now. And you get angry at God. And that gets in your heart, that bitterness. And Satan loves that. He loves to cause pain in the world and then point it to God and say, can you believe he's done this? He loves to do that. One of his favorite tactics in this world is to do that. But see, Jesus did not promise us that we would not go through difficulty. He did not promise us that there would not be pain. And we, I want to unravel this a little bit. But here's the thing that you've got to understand is, is, is that Jesus in the beginning, in, in Matthew eleven six, 6, he said this to John the Baptist, who Jesus did not meet his expectations. John the Baptist gave his life for Jesus. He preached that the Messiah was coming. He was longing for that Messiah himself. But then all of a sudden after Jesus comes, John the Baptist ends up in prison and is about to be beheaded. And he says, listen, is this the dude that was supposed to come or should I be waiting for another? And Jesus says, go and tell John that the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the lepers are cleansed, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. Matthew eleven six. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Because see, sometimes I know it seems to you like Jesus just demands too much. He's asking you for your life. He's asking you for a commitment. And it's just like, man, I, I don't feel like giving all this up. There's a lot of things that Jesus is asking of me and it's just too much. It's too much of a demand. And, and I, I want to have a little bit of control of my own life. So I'm, they get offended at that. Number two, one of the things that offends us is that he doesn't meet our expectations. I think maybe that's actually the number one thing is that when God doesn't meet your expectations, you tend to get offended at how he goes about doing things. Let me tell you something. God is far smarter than you and I ever dreamed about being. Will you agree with me on that? That his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts higher than ours. And so are his ways higher than our ways. We can't understand why he does what he does. But his goal is not for you to have the happy, best American dream life. His goal is for you to be like Christ. His goal is for you to be like Jesus. And in order for Jesus to learn obedience, he actually had to go through suffering. So what the Bible teaches is not that in a Christian life you will not go through suffering, but that the suffering always has purpose. That the suffering you go through, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, he will not waste it. That right there gives me joy right now just saying it. He's not going to waste any individual thing that you go through. It's always for a purpose. Because see, God is all powerful, but he doesn't just fix things right away. He's working something greater. He's working a purpose beyond what you understand. And when he doesn't meet your expectations, your response should be, Lord, I worship you because I know that you're good. And I worship you that I know that no matter how hard this seems to me, you've got a goal for my life and a plan for my life that's greater than anything I could ever imagine. And Lord, I only see things from a perspective of about 60 to 70 years tops. I mean, I've only been alive 35 or 32 years. I, got, I aged myself a little bit right then. <laughs> my Lord, what happened? <laughs> I got heart palpitations again right then. 
I've only been alive that long, but can you understand that God is eternal? He's never even been inside of time except for when Christ came in and dwelt 33 years on the earth. But see, we got a small perspective. God's got a perspective of eternity. He doesn't just see you in your suffering right now. He sees you 10 million years from now in perfect peace with him saying, I'm going to work this thing out. They're going to be glad they went through what they went through. They're going to be happy that I allowed them to go through that because it shaped them and it molded them and it prepared them for eternal ruling and reigning with me. And see, in these Advent seasons, Satan comes to steal from us and say the promise isn't coming. Things aren't going to work out. Things aren't going to happen. And see, the third thing that he says that, that, that gets us offended is that when he, do, he doesn't show up on time, he reacts too late. You remember with Lazarus, Lazarus his, 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 uh, his sisters, they got all upset because he was too late. He showed up four days after the man died, but he still raised him up, didn't he? And they sing that song, you know, all time in church. He's, he, he's an on-time God, right? He's an on-time God. See, but here's the thing that you've got to understand is that being offended by God is a choice. Let me say that a second time. Being offended by God is a choice. You get to choose whether or not you're going to be offended at your circumstances and your situations or you get to choose whether or not you're going to praise God through the storm knowing that he has got things in control. He's shaping you in a way that you can't understand and it is his perfect plan to bring you through this thing and you're going to come out victor victorious on the other end. There are some things that, that unless you go through them, you're not going to reach the goal that God has for your life. You're just not going to reach it. So God is saying in these Advent seasons, you got to understand, I know there's chaos. I know there's torment. But how are you going to be able to defeat the enemy if the enemy never attacks you and you never understand how he works? The reason I can get up and preach is because I have learned some things from experience. And as we grow, we learn more from experience and we experience these things. But see, what I see happening more than anything is that people begin to get bitter. And instead of teaching their experience and being able to come alongside somebody and say, man, I know that things are, are, are bad, but I promise you God's with you. What they say, they get bitter and they just have negative things to say and they just increase that negativity. So there's two questions I want to ask you is how do we conduct ourselves in the midst of this Advent season? When I'm going through a confusing, miserable, painful time in life, how do I, how do I act? How do I conduct myself? And number two, how do we hang on? to hope when there doesn't seem to be any hope? Those are good questions, aren't they? Y'all ever ask those questions? How am I supposed to act when I'm going through this, Lord? I mean, because, because, I, because really most of us, what we end up doing is we want to run from any situation that's hard, don't we? We want comfort, man. We want peace, especially in America. We are worse off. And, and, you know, another thing we were talking about today is that anxiety and fear is higher in America than any other nation in the world. You know why? Because we idolize comfort. We worship comfort. We want everything fast, quick, and easy. And when things are not fast, quick, and easy, we have no idea how to deal with the smallest hardships in the world because everything's fast, quick, and easy. And our spirituality, we want it fast, quick, and easy. We like preachers who get up and say, everything's going to be perfect, y'all. Life is going to be fantastic. The breakthrough is coming. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff we love to hear on a Sunday morning. Yeah, and, you, and then we do, you do it like that, too. That adds to it. That makes you feel even better. I mean, I, sometimes I, I sit down, I'm studying this stuff. I'm like, Lord, ain't nobody wants to hear this stuff. I mean, let, let's get up and encourage everybody and say, hey, everything's going to be awesome. Breakthroughs come. Everybody's getting healed. Everything's changing. Right? You want to say that? I, and I can say this, that healing will come. 
Deliverance will come. Transformation will come, but it may not always come in the way that you want it. And the question is not whether or not it's coming. The question is, how will you be developed and how will you allow God to work through you during the time that it's not yet here? In the longing, in the waiting, how are you going to act? How are you going to respond? What are you going to allow God to do in you during the longing and during this time? And see, uh, one of the people that I like in Scripture a lot that helps us learn about this is a woman named Mary, Jesus' mother. Last week we talked about the four women that were in Jesus' lineage that were before him. Let's talk about the one that is right before him. The mother of God. I don't even know if that's like theologically correct to say. But she was the mother of Jesus, was she not? She gave birth to this Messiah, this Son of God, and that staggers the imagination. But let me read some scripture to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Let's read this, a little bit of the Christmas story. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, here's the thing. You've got to understand this. Mary is engaged to Joseph. And again, you're reading something from a couple thousand years ago. So our culture has changed quite a bit, believe it or not, in 2000 years. But back then, when you were about 13, 14 years old, is when you got engaged to be married to a man. So Mary, most scholars will say, was at this point when she gave birth to Jesus, somewhere probably around the ages of 13 and 14 years old. That's pretty insane, isn't it? For us. But that was a normal thing for them. So she's 13, 14 years old when the angel appears to her. But what you've got to understand is that Mary and Joseph are peasant Jews. They have very little money. They scrape by day to day. Their life is a hard life. They have fear of Roman oppression every single day of their life. And they are currently longing for the Messiah to show up themselves. So when Mary hears this, the angel Gabriel is actually sharing stuff that she already knows. She's like, yeah, I've read that and I've read that at Gabriel. And, and I imagine her heart is beating out of her chest because she's seeing this angel, one. But two, this angel is getting ready to tell her, you're about to give birth to this Messiah that everybody's been talking about all these years. And in your 13-year-old mind, you can only know so much, but you know is better than anybody. They've been teaching you since you were a little girl that this king is coming. And I'm telling you, the king is going to come through you. You're going to be the channel through which God is going to fix all that is broken in this world and, and, and to set free the people that, that you live with. And I, here's the thing, there couldn't be a higher honor than that. Would you agree? 
I mean, if the angel Gabriel come to me and said anything remotely close to that, I mean, like, like if the angel Gabriel just showed up to me and said, hey, Clay, when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to kiss the feet of Jesus. I would, I mean, I'd just fall out and say it's the highest honor in the world. But the, the, the angel's saying, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. All the promises of God are going to be birthed in you. And we think, wow, she's blessed. How blessed, what an honor. And it is an honor, but I promise you, I guarantee you some of you grown women would not have received this honor. You would have said, Gabriel, I don't know about that, buddy. And I'll tell you why you would have said that. Because to have a child outside of wedlock was the worst possible thing that could happen to any woman in that society. Now, in our society, it's common. It just happens. People overlook it. Grace is extended. It ain't no big deal. But in that society, you were an outcast. And a matter of fact, if you were engaged as Mary was, her husband had the option, according to Deuteronomy 22, according to Deuteronomy 22, he had the option to have her brought into the public square, to have her clothes torn, her hair let down as they all called her an adulteress. And then he had the option to have her stoned to death. Somebody amen me. Y'all been like, yeah, I'll take a baby, yeah. No, it's not, it's not a good option for her. It's a terrible option for her. Matter of fact, I, I mean, I would, have, I would totally understand if this 13-year-old girl told the angel Gabriel, you know what, Gabriel, look. I'm just 13 years old. My life is already hard. You're asking me to do this and bring this because, because if I do this, you know what's going to happen. I'm going to get pregnant. I'm, I'm going to be engaged to Joseph. He's going to put me away. He's not. Because and, and if you read, Joseph actually thought about doing it until the angel came to him in a dream. It says he was going to put her away privately because he didn't want to have her killed. So he was going to privately put her away because he could not be married to a woman that had a child outside of wedlock or he would enter into that shame with her. And they would have been ridiculed their entire lives. They would have been known as, uh, there's that family over there, Mary. She had a kid without Joseph. What a, you know, and then call her a name or something like that. That was, the kind of, that was the kind of life they would have been living. And so this does not seem like a very good idea. And plus, who's going to believe her? Hey guys, I got pregnant recently. You know how it turned out? Holy Spirit overshadowed me. Holy Spirit overshadowed me. I got a baby now. Anybody come up to you in church and say that, we would be like, hey, y'all, somebody do something with this. I mean, we'd be scared. It, would, it, was, it just was not going to work out for her in any way, any shape, any fashion. But see, here's the thing that you got to understand. Those women who would have a child outside of wedlock, they had two options. They were either going to be a beggar or they were going to become a prostitute because they were not going to be married by any respectable person. And those were the two options that she had. So basically, Gabriel is asking her to invite even more pain into her life. But here's the thing that you got to know. Number two, in Advent seasons, in difficult seasons, we must understand that favor does not mean easy. Favor does not mean easy. You get favor, man. God's going to give you responsibility. It's going to be hard. He's going to stretch your faith and make you do something that you didn't want to do because it's uncomfortable. And yet the angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you are highly favored, Mary. But do you know that he doesn't say things are going to get easy from here on out? Matter, listen, you understand. Y'all understand. I know some of you women, when you're pregnant, I mean, it's a difficult situation. I get it. And then you have the baby and all that. Like, I, I, I see that. But this woman, Mary, she had to go back to Bethlehem to be taxed. You imagine being about eight months pregnant and riding 90 miles on a donkey. 
You ain't got no shelter. You just got set up in the night and get rained on while you're pregnant and then get back up on the donkey following day and, and ride more miles getting into Bethlehem. Yeah, that doesn't sound like favor to me, God. Doesn't sound like riding a, riding a donkey 90 miles. That doesn't sound like favor. But see, favor has to do with, with not, not with your circumstances. Favor has to do with the Lord being with you in your circumstances. Because he says, Mary, highly favored one, semicolon, the Lord is with you. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. doesn't mean everything's going to be great. doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. But it means in the midst of your challenges, the Lord is going to be with you because He has a purpose greater than the purpose you can understand. Because if God is going to bring the Messiah into this world, you would think He would have worked everything out flawlessly and perfectly. They would have had a baby in a palace. The king would have said, the Messiah is coming. Please give this woman a place to stay. And she has him in a daggum feed trough. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're like things. But Lord, I thought you were sovereign. I thought you were working things out. You should be making this perfect. This is the Messiah. Which just leads me to believe that sometimes favor can even feel like God's a thousand miles away. Sometimes favor can even feel like he ain't even interested in what you're going through. But see that he's still with you and he's bringing about his purposes. And you can't always understand what is going on. But he's in the midst of it. And see, basically... They're saying, for the good of the sake of the good of the world, she's saying, I'm going to give up my life. And and here's what it says in, in verse verse 37 and 38. I want to read those to you again, right quick. But it says, with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And in verse 37, it's kind of a tricky little verse. But it says nothing will be impossible. But right there, the word, it means no word of God. No promise of God will be impossible. Matter of fact, the Passion Translation reads it like this. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. In other words, if you've got a promise from God, it don't matter what your circumstances look like. He is able to bring a pregnancy to a virgin woman. That defies logic. It defies science. It is not natural. When God gives you a word, he will defy science and logic to bring about what he's promised you. So with God, nothing, no word that he speaks is empty of powerful power. He's going to bring it to pass. And she responds like this. She responds and says, Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. Let it be. And I want you to understand this because this little 13 year old girl to say, Lord, whatever you say, in faith, I'm willing to bring more hardship on my life. I'm willing to go through probably what's going to be the most difficult season ever. But I realize that you're doing something that's greater than my life. And I'm willing to lay down my life for your purposes. And see, the first question I asked you was, how do we conduct ourselves in the midst of this Advent season? And in Advent seasons, number three in your notes, is we offer ourselves to the Lord and ask, how can I be used to bless others? In Advent seasons, we offer ourselves to the Lord and ask God, how can I be used to bless others? See, and here's the thing. You may go through some times where things get so difficult and so hard. And if, if you're like the average person, when things get difficult and hard, what happens to you? You become very self-focused. You're only worried about your problems and your problems seem like the biggest thing in the world. And let me, let me tell you this. When you're going through a crisis situation, you need to focus on your problems and you need rest. But, but you cannot stay there. At some point, you have to realize I'm in a crisis, 
but I'm becoming very self-focused and I may even be wallowing in self-pity. I may be becoming bitter. I may be getting very critical. But the best thing that you can do, the Lord said this to me a couple of weeks ago, when something very difficult happens in your life and you're so focused on your pain and your suffering, what you need to do is ask, Lord, how can I now be a blessing to somebody else in the midst of my pain? Somebody else out there is hurting. And if I can focus on somebody else just for a moment, it's going to get my focus off of me and my pain. Because right now I'm magnifying my pain and I'm trying to get everybody to pity me. But if I would focus on somebody else's pain and say, Lord, how can I bless that person in their Advent season? All of a sudden my pain is going to begin to lift a little bit and I'm going to be able to carry the load just a little bit better. Because ultimately my life is not about me. And see, Mary says this is going to be bring great difficulty. It's going to intend intensify my difficulty and my pain to take you up on this offer, Gabriel. But for the sake of the world and for the good of others, I'm willing to do it. Man, that's something else, isn't it? She's teaching us that this is what it's about. When you experience pain, you can get offended at God. You can get self-focused. You can wallow in self-pity. You can shut down. And God is saying, no, it's a perfect opportunity for you to turn and bless others in the midst of your Advent season while you're waiting, while you're confused. And let me tell you something. You do not have to wait to be perfectly whole to serve other people. You do not have to wait to be perfectly whole to bless other people. You can minister to other people while you're still broken, while you're still waiting, while you're still longing, while you're still suffering. You can choose to love other people and minister to other people. And ultimately, that's what Christmas is all about, folks. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about just the fact of what Jesus gives us and the blessings that He gives us, but now through us, He's choosing to bless the world. And in this Christmas season, you want to say, God, how can I offer myself up to bless others? I don't just, I'm not just looking for my own deliverance, but I'm participating with God in the deliverance of others. And that's what I want to see. You don't have to wait forever. But see, what happens is we get lost in complaining. We get lost in comparison. Y'all ever done that? Like something doesn't, something doesn't go the way you want and you say, well, how come it is here I am? I ain't got enough money to eat and these people over here are rich. They can get anything they want. You get caught up in that. You get caught up in how come they're healthy and I'm sick over here? How come they have children I can't have? None? I mean, you could go for days and days in comparison and all that does is fuel your misery. It only fuels your misery. It only fuels your misery and you start to complain and sometimes you can get so locked up in that complaint cycle that your entire life just becomes one big complaint. And people who live in that locked into that cycle, man, they get aggravated over nothing. The smallest things in the world, that's another chance to complain. That's a kind of like, ah, just nothing works out. <laughs> Life's awful. You know what? You need to, you, you gotta, you gotta allow God to check your heart there because everybody's dealing with stuff. I promise you. And you're, what, what, you, you have to learn to roll with the punches because there's nothing that God is not allowing you in your life that he does not see. And ultimately, he still is wanting to bring you joy and he's wanting to bring you peace. Because just like what Jeremy said, your circumstances do not determine your joy. Your circumstances do not determine your peace. Christ is your peace. He is your joy in the midst of these circumstances. One thing that the New Testament teaches us is that the apostles were beaten, rejected, outcast, put together put to death for what they believed, but at the end of the day, they had more joy than anybody because they knew who Christ was. They knew what he was going to bring about in their lives. And sometimes, you know, I wrote this down. I thought, Lord, that cannot be a good thing to say. But do you know that sometimes you even have to put dreams down? 
I've had to put dreams down, y'all. I don't, like, it, it feels way better to get up and preach and say, the dreams are coming true. <laughs> you know, it, it feels way better to preach that on a Sunday morning. I wish that was my message. But I'm telling you that I have had to lay dreams down. I'm telling you that I've had dreams and I thought God said was this was going to happen and, this, and, and I've come to this point where it's like, oh my gosh, it didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. And the Lord says, okay then, will you lay that dream down so that potentially I can give you a greater one? Rather than get bitter, rather than get offended, lay that dream down, man. It's all right. You're still going to be all right. Guess what? Life's still good. I'm still good. Things are still good. I know that it didn't come to pass the way that you wanted, but sometimes you got to lay these things down and see. But, but, but what happens is those dreams get deferred. Things don't happen the way they should. And the question is that I asked you in the beginning, how do we hang on to hope when there doesn't seem to be any hope? You ever been in a place where you feel like, man, there's just no hope. Nothing's going to get better in this situation. And here's the, here's the fourth thing. In Advent seasons... We exercise faith in what God is going to bring to pass. Number four, we exercise faith in what God is going to bring to pass. See, here's, here's what happens. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is her older cousin who is now pregnant with John the Baptist. And y'all know the story about Elizabeth. She was married to this guy named uh, Zechariah. And, 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 and Zechariah, the angel actually came to him and said, look, you're going to have a boy and he's going to prepare the way of, of the Messiah to come. And because John or, or Zechariah did not believe, the angel muted him and shut his mouth. And some of y'all would probably do well to be muted. I mean, if all you're going to do is complain and be cynical, and, and, and let me say this, Sometimes I complain, and often I can be very cynical. That's why I tell Jeremy he's Tigger and I'm Eeyore. I have the potential, I don't know if it's my personality or what, but I have the potential to be very mopey and to begin to wallow in self-pity and all these different... I have the potential to do that, and I have to be aware of that, but I cannot allow myself to get into a complaint and cynical season in my life. I've got to come to a place where I believe God. And see, this is what, in verse 45, chapter 1, here's what, here's what Elizabeth says to Mary. She says, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. See, belief determines fulfillment. What do you believe? What are you believing God for? Are you trusting Him for something greater in your life? They had been promised a baby. The angel had muted John because he didn't believe, but she believed. And here's, what I, here's another thing I want you to understand about belief, is belief is not just something that takes place in your heart. When she believed it in her heart, she began to express it with her mouth. Somebody amen me. Now here's what she says in verse 46 through 55. It said, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She's prophesying about the fact that I was going to be up here calling her blessed today. That's pretty wild. And then for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now she's going through this, and there's a lot you could say about this, but I just want to bring out one thing, and that's that if you read this, in the second half, it sounds like Mary is celebrating for things that God has already done. She's using the past tense. And saying he has helped his servant Israel. He has put down the mighty. He, he, he has exalted the lowly. But the truth is he hasn't done any of these things yet. Matter of fact, two years from now, one of the proud Herod is going to try to kill her very baby that's in her womb. He's not even accomplished these things yet. But she's actually, there, there, there's a word there. She is actually seeing and speaking what you call proleptically. She has a, she has a confidence of what is going to happen in the future. You ever have that? You ever have that confidence? Like you just know that you know. But see here, the majority, most people don't. Ninety-eight percent of people, when they think about the future, they think of it in a fearful way, in a dreadful way, that terrible things are going to happen. But she begins to envision the future, and she sees the future and is so confident in what God is going to do, she speaks of it as if it has already happened. That's crazy. She speaks of it as if it has already happened. She knows that this baby that is going to be born is going to change the world and he's going to fulfill his promises. But rather than saying he's going to, she says he's already done it. It's already happened. Do you know that that's what faith is? The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, if you look at that, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substantiating of the things that you hope for and the conviction of things not yet seen. So the things that you hope for, you begin to envision your future according to God's word and you bring it into reality and, and substantiate it in your heart and in your mind as a reality. God has promised this. That means that it is done. I may not see it yet, but I am substantiating the things that I hope for and I have a conviction that even though I have not yet seen it, I know that it's in his word and he is going to bring it to pass. I have a conviction of what he's going to do. This is what is she, she's beginning to do. See, the fourth thing, like I said, just to say it one more time, is that we exercise faith in what God is going to bring to pass. See, she was not bitter. She was not caught up in a glass half empty mentality, but she was full of faith. And this is the opposite of cynicism and complaining. And just like Jeremy was saying, she does not base her faith in the future or her circumstances, but on the promises of God. And what are you going to put your faith in? What are you going to put it in? Because if you allow your circumstances and what you're going through to shake your emotions and get you believing something, see, you can actually start to put faith in the difficulty that you're going through. You can focus so much on your difficulty, so much on your pain, so much on your confusion that you begin to identify yourself with it and you get caught up in this cycle where you just always believe things are going to continue to get worse. Things are never going to get better. Why? Because you're not focusing on God's Word. You're focusing on what has happened. You're focusing on... And again, you need to pray about the pain. You need to seek the deliverance. You need to bring that pain to God. You have to. You have to process it. You don't just shove it away. But in the midst of those Advent seasons, when, when you're waiting, when you're longing, when you're confused, when you're in pain, you've got to begin to envision a new future. I don't know about you, but sometimes what I do when I'm going through a, like a difficult time or I'm stressed or my mind is messed up, I'll go to prayer and I'll, and I'll sort of sit with the Lord and oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll actually exercise just imagining being with Jesus 10,000 years from now. 
And we'll be just be sitting there. And we might even, we might even play back a little video and say, look at her. You remember when you was tore up like that? <laughs> and he'll probably he'll laugh just like that, something, something close to that. He'd be like, you remember you was tore up like that? I was with you, bro. I was with you. I was with you the whole time. It'd be something like that. But you know what it does? It, it begins to alleviate a little bit of the pain, a little bit of the stuff that I'm going through. And I start to say, you know what, Lord, you're good. You're always good. You're always faithful. You're full of wisdom. And I know the devil's lying to me right now, Lord. He's telling me that you're not with me. He's telling me that you don't have good lined out for me. He's telling me that there's just going to be too much bad things in the future. I'm not going to be able to bear it. I mean, I've had the devil come and tell me, Clay, there's going to be so much pain in your future, so much suffering in your future. I bet I can get you to throw in the towel. I bet I can get you to give up. I bet I can get you to quit pastoring. I bet I can do these things to you. Y'all ever heard voices like that? Nobody. Praise God. Y'all are in good shape. You get that stuff in your mind sometimes, though, and you have to resist that. You've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to get into the promises of God and get your imagination focused on the end game, what God is doing. I promise you right now, folks, God is up to something. He's moving in your life. He's moving in your family. He's moving in our community. And God, God is moving in our midst right now. We're getting ready to, 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 to move into a place where God does greater things. Are, is there going to be trial? Is there going to be difficulty? Are there going to be confusing times? I guarantee you. But the, the, the thing is, is that God is going to be with us. And He is going to increase our joy. He's going to increase our peace. He's going to increase our strength. He's going to make us better. He's going to make us love people more. He's going to give us more compassion. And He's going to move in our hearts in such a way that we can resist hardship and go out of our way like Mary did for the sake of the world to love people even in our pain. That's where he's taking us, man. We're City of Hope Church. That's the name that we have for our church. That means that even in terrible times, we're going to be people that bring hope. And maybe even they're going to look at our lives and say, I can't believe that guy has so much joy. I see what he's going through. That woman has suffered this. And look at the joy and the peace that she has. And she's actually going out of her way to love and minister to other people in the midst of her pain. What could be going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. She's got a hope beyond this life. She's got a hope in Jesus Christ. He has become her joy. He has become her love. He has become her hope and her peace. And it's rooted in something that's unshakable. And that's where we have to move to. We've got to root our faith and our hope and our joy in something that's unshakable because everything in this world is going to be shaken. And I promise you, if your joy is in how much money you have or your hope is in how well your family is going or your peace and how, is, is in how your plans are working out, they will fail you. The only thing that will not fail you is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to root your hope Root your faith. Establish your trust in Him. You're not going to be able to understand why things happen the way they happen. You're just not going to be able to. That's why the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Your own understanding will get you in trouble. At least 3,000 times in this life, I've thought to myself, If I was the Lord, I would have done it that way. Well, that's my own understanding. You know where it got me? Into, a, into trouble. I trust in Him with all of my heart. I lean not to my own understanding. I acknowledge Him in all my ways. And guess what? He's going to direct my paths. And His paths are paths of peace. They're paths of joy. They're paths of breakthrough. And He's going to make me more like Jesus. And we're going to see people come to Christ because we learn how to live this life. And here's what I want to tell you guys. You need to look for somebody to be a blessing to this Christmas season. There are people. First of all, there are people in this room. It says that we're supposed to do good to all 
but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You realize that? So ask yourself, Lord, who can I be a blessing to? Who needs a blessing? I know, I know I'm in a financial struggle or I know that, that I'm in sickness or in pain, but who can I be a blessing to this Christmas season so I don't just become a self-focused vacuum? And I promise you what you're going to see. You remember when Job was going through all of his suffering, it was when he finally turned and prayed for his friends that the deliverance came. He got his focus off of his own suffering. He prayed for his friends who were going through almost nothing, really, except for their, their friend was sick. When he focused on them, his breakthrough came. I'm telling you, the breakthrough comes when we keep quit focusing on ourselves. We start focusing on others because that's what Jesus did. That's what Mary did. That's the Christmas story. It's about loving others even in the midst of our pain. Sometimes you got to get your hands dirty. You know, in church, sometimes we have programs, we have organizations and different things where we can get connected and maybe give kids toys. And as a church, sort of, we, we, we're always trying to find individuals that we can help in different ways. And sometimes you can't express that publicly. But here's what I would say to our church as a whole. Individually, you get your hands dirty. Don't wait on the church to do it. You do something. Look for somebody to bless. I know you're going through something, but keep longing, keep praying. The deliverance is going to come and God is going to bring freedom. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me? season and here's what I want to do I just want to pray for you and I'm going to pray and then I'm going to leave this altar open and again I want to encourage you I know a lot of times especially with this group of people that we got not everybody is always accustomed to responding but I want you to learn how to respond to God and sometimes in these corporate gatherings when we respond and when we pray for one another there's something that happens so I want to pray for you and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in prayer and worship so Lord right now God we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the Advent seasons. When we're longing, when we're waiting, when we're confused, when we're broken, when things are not going the way that we thank God, we are not going to get offended in you, God, because we know that you're always good, you're always faithful, and you're going to bring your purpose to pass in our lives. We trust you for that, and we give you the glory for that right now. But God, in the longing, in the waiting, you have given us favor, and that means that, Lord, you are with us, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. And there's nothing that you are going to waste right now, God. The pain, the sickness, the fear, the anxiety, nothing that is happening right now, God, you are going to waste. But you are going to teach us. You're going to train us. You're going to make us better. And ultimately, you're going to lead us into an established path. 
path of peace and joy and life abundant. And Lord, it's not just for our sakes. It's not just so we can have freedom and we can have peace, but it's ultimately because just like Mary, you want to use us as the channel through which the good news that you have goes to others. And so, Lord, make us that channel. Make us that reservoir of your peace. God, fill us with your spirit and use us, God, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our confusion, to be a blessing to others. Lord, we're so grateful for what you've given us in Jesus. And we just surrender to you and we respond to you right now.